Uh, my apologies for th- those of you who are just kind of visiting, um, but just going to do a little bit of a, a, a short kind of recap, and then we're just going to focus in on particularly a, a passage in Philippians, a book in the Bible called Philippians, and chapter three. If you can put um, probably my second slide up, yeah, we do. Yeah, I do. And um, we've been doing a se- series called kind of building the church. Initially, Nigel was speaking in September. And just this desire to uh, just build as, as a physical building. And you don't have to look now at putting your necks out, but if you look at the back of the church, uh, you can see some plans. But particularly in the last couple of weeks, we've just been talking about building the people, building us as followers of Jesus. And whether you call Winchester Vineyard your home or not, the principles still apply that we want to grow and be people that God can use to see and transformation. As Nigel said a number of weeks ago, in some ways this is harder. You know, if you've been around in this church and we did an appeal just to raise funds in relation to uh, seeing some of the building work that we want to see happen on this physical building. And in some ways, that's, as Nigel said, that's the easy bit. It's easy to give uh, to some extent. You give it and then you just move on. But the call, the invitation, the challenge to give ourselves and what that means and what that looks like, that's way harder. And that's some of the things that Nigel has been talking about. He looked at Philippians 1 and 2, and I get the opportunity to just share on Philippians 3, which is a a well-known but very challenging um, passage. Because we want to build ourselves as people. As it says up there, I hope you can see it, because I can't see that one over there with the sun. But it talks about... A well-known passage, and I gave it in two versions. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also are like living stones. As you come to Christ, you are being built into a house for worship. There you will be holy priests. You will offer spiritual sacrifices. God will accept them because of what Jesus Christ has done. And then in a kind of more, more modern translation called the message, it says, present yourselves as building stones or the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life, in which you will serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. And so that's kind of the context of what we've been looking at. One of the contexts is that we want to build something. We're not just talking about a physical building, but we want to build something. We want to offer each one of us, if we say that we follow Jesus, we're saying that we are living stone. We're saying to God, places and users as you seek to build your kingdom. You know, uh, uh, I, I don't do um, kind of bricky work or anything like that. I'm just really non-practical, um, as many of you know, who know me, whatever. But I'm sure if I went to them and I was doing a building, uh, the stone doesn't say, put me here. The, the, when your brick gets placed, is that the mercy of the bricklayer or the stonemason to put that stone or brick wherever he wants. And so again, that is an encouragement and a challenge to us. When we say we follow Jesus, it's saying, God, we want to be used. We want to be put. We want to see your kingdom, the reality of, of your power touching places, come and touch us. And this is very much kind of one of the things that we're trying to do as a church, as a church leadership. We're trying to create uh, what would be called a culture, a way of doing things. If you've been around this church for a while, you would have heard us a for a number of times talking that we want to bring life to our cities. We want to bring life to our communities. 
whatever that may be, your workplace, the door queue, the uh, school gate, you know, filling the gaps. We want to see the reality of God flowing in our lives and through our lives and bringing transformation. And this passage in Philippians and what we're looking at touches at the very heart and core of that. Before looking at chap- um, specifically chapter 13, if you just um, uh, flick up the next one, Pete. Um, there's just certain themes I wanted to kind of point into because we're going to look at chapter f- Three of Philippians, but Philippians 3 is in a context, in the context of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And next week, we're going to finish it off with chapter 4. But I just wanted to highlight a, a couple of points that will kind of be reinforced, shall we say, in chapter 3. So even though we're talking about them in chapter 3, they've been mentioned already and they will come up again. Firstly, a very well-known verse in Philippians 1 verse 6, you know, he who has begun a good work in you. Uh, the way I memorize it, will carry on to completion. We'll finish it. And again, you'll see in chapter 3, it talks about finishing our faith. In Philippians 1, verse 21, again, a very well-known verse. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And again, this theme will come up in chapter chapter 3. And then Philippians, um, verses 17 to 18. And I could have... Um, referred to a number of different places. One of the things that comes up again and again in in Philippians is this idea of joy. And I kind of throw that in and I emphasize it because the message I'm sharing from chapter 3 is a very challenging message. But I want you to have it in kind of the backdrop, in the back of your mind, that the context of whole of Philippians is joy. The things that we've been challenged, that we've been encouraged, that are saying like, do this or step out, is in the context of joy. And so keep that in the back of your mind. Even some of the things that are said there, Paul talking about his life, you know, he talks about being a drink offering, being poured out. It's the same phrase that Nigel was talking about last week when he was talking about Jesus going to empty himself, giving himself over. I can't remember what translation it was. My apologies, but one way it's translated, it says, even if I'm executed here and now, I rejoice being an element in the offering of your faith. You know, strong, challenging words, execution. Then lastly, Nigel touched on this last week, Philippians 2, verses 4 to 5. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And again, as we go into chapter 3, there's some of the challenging things that we, we read in chapter 3 come from the context of saying Paul just challenging the church in Philippi, saying, you, we, we say, you say that you follow Jesus. This is what following Jesus looks like. He set us an, an example that we can follow. And this is what it can and it does look like. So looking at Philippians chapter 3, if you have a Bible, I'm going to read it out. Uh, if you've got it on your uh, I was going to say iPod, phone, or whatever. And feel free to look. I'm going to read the whole, the whole passage. I'm not going to put it up. It just take too many slides. But starting at verse one, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. 
and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the faith, of the flesh. For it is we who are the, the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, or the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Wow. For whatever we were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish in English language, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. I'm going to stop there. There's a few more verses. I'd encourage you to read those. I'd also encourage you to read chapter 4 before next week. I was going to put something on Facebook to say, um, you know, have a look at chapter 3 before we come to it. But I'm just going to pick out a few kind of key points and themes from this passage that hopefully apply to our lives individually and apply to our lives as a, as a congregation that's seeking to follow and obey Jesus. The first bit I wanted to highlight is, if you kind of go back to particularly verses 4 to 10, um, Paul kind of goes through a, a list of, if you read any commentaries like, you know, it's like going for a job description, like being overqualified. It was just staggering his, his position, his experience. You know, in the kind of environment where he was, people just go, wow, you know, you were up there. And Paul says, you know, I consider them rubbish. I consider you like, you know, just think of, because um, it's easy when we think about rubbish, just think, oh, you know, this nice little clean little bags that we have that we kind of put out on a certain day for the rubbish men to collect. Uh, just think of, um, you know, if you've ever been abroad, just think of that kind of, it's smelling. It's been there. I remember when I used to live in Egypt when they had the rubbish strikes. You might have rubbish stuck on the side for a few months. And it's just going to crawl in with maggots. Before I share it now, Rodham, before you have your lunch. 
And, uh, and so it kind of really just reeks, it's just maggots. And he's saying, I consider this all rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. Everything that normally people would go, wow, he says, is nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. And what he means by knowing Christ is not just a head knowledge, but an intimate experiential knowledge. I wasn't going to embarrass my, my wife, Katie. She's actually upstairs doing kids' work. And, um, you know, I could have put a picture up of her, and, you know, many of you kind of um, know her. But there's a difference between kind of having head knowledge uh, and intimate knowledge. You know, you might be able to describe her, you know, I'm trying to think, it's not exactly a blonde, but kind of mousy, you know, slightly curlish hair, gray eyes. You know, she's about five foot five. You know, you could come through this a bit like, you know, um, just this kind of obsession we have nowadays with kind of um, celebrity status where people sometimes feel like they know somebody. You know, they're a fan. They gather information on them. They can tell you all sorts of things that they've read in the kind of magazines. But there isn't that knowledge as Paul is speaking about. It's a knowledge where they know that person in and out where they're going to know what they think and what they're going to do. My apology to those of you who are uh, uh, not married, but sometimes when you, when you start getting really, really close to somebody, it always amazes Katie myself when we just come out with something. It's like, I was thinking that same thing at that moment in time. It was nothing to do with the context or anything. It's a bit like the kind of twilight zone. Duh, 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 duh. We kind of look at each and go, that's weird. And, uh, you know, I kind of know roughly how she might react or what she might say in a, in a situation. Because that comes from intimate knowledge of being with somebody. And that's what Paul is talking about. This is what it's about. Now, when I read that story, for me, it's not just a bit of information. For me, it's very uh, real. I guess I've been in a, a privileged position. In some ways, I could quite easily go through a what in Christian terms would be regarded as a pecking order. You know, I've got one more year, then after that, I won't be able to say that half my life I've been a missionary. You know, it's a phrase I don't particularly like to, to use, 22 years. You know, I've been a pastor, a senior pastor, been an associate pastor. I'm currently uh, an assistant pastor. I've planted, you know, churches, you know, and I could just go on and kind of listen. Like, Paul, I could look at it. But I know that if I do not know Christ, then it's a waste of time. And I know in my own life, like, like Paul went through an experience that dramatically changed him. That was called the Damascus Road. I know particularly in, one, in my life, it was about 20 years ago, um, where God just, he just broke my heart. Because I realized, I had all these kind of things that people go, wow. But I realized, I kind of knew Christ. I could explain. I preached in church and so forth. I was planting a church at that time, but God made me realize that I didn't really know him. It just broke my heart. Up to that point, for whatever reason, I hadn't cried. You tell me, ask my children now. I'm the one who always cries in my family now. And it just, it, it might be hard to explain, but it hit me. And this is one reason why for me it's so important. It's to do with knowing Christ. I never lose sight of that. I was away this week um, doing a couple of things. I'll share one later, but one of the things I, I started yesterday and then I go back is because of my work, I train people who are going to go and share Jesus amongst Muslims. 
And uh, I asked him a question. I was in the devotional yesterday, and I said, why are you going? And uh, why are you going to go and share Jesus with a Muslim? So they were coming out with all sorts of things. You know, they had dreams, and they'd heard somebody speak. They'd been broken with just God's heart for the, the nations. And, and I said, that's great. That's great. But I said, don't forget, it's about Jesus. Whatever dream, whatever it is that kind of motivated you to kind of go abroad, that won't be enough to keep you going if you're not centered. There's a, a song many years ago called, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. And you could feel that in uh, for the guys yesterday. I was saying, I'm coming back to the heart of overseas mission. It's all about Jesus. You can apply it to the situations that we're in. We talk about bringing transformation to our communities. It's easy to take that on board and forget it's about, it's about Jesus. You can get involved in it, all sorts of ministry. And I love all these things, healing on the streets and street pastors. You know, the name, I love these guys. If you're not involved with those things, get involved in it. But it's very easy over a period of time to forget what it's about. It's about Jesus, that we want to know Christ. And so that's our desire. We want to know Christ, to know intimately here. And that knowledge is a productive knowledge. I kind of hinted at it earlier, but that same word for know is used in Genesis. Adam knew Eve, and she conceived. So that gives you, I don't know how to spell it anymore, but it just kind of gives you the idea of the depth of knowledge. Um, and that knowledge and intimacy always results in an outcome, in productivity. As we seek to follow God, as we seek to know him, there has to be a productivity outcome. Any experience that does not result in action, I would probably say is not a genuine experience of connecting with God. And so that's a challenge. And my, and my first thought, you know, those again who know me know that I like to ask questions. I don't know why I was always born this way. But I just like to ask questions, partly because I'm always thinking, Lord, what does it mean? How does it look like to outwork this in my life? And so my challenge to myself and my challenge to you as a church as we seek to grow, as we seek to be living stones is, why is God asking us to leave aside? Why is God asking us to leave aside? The things that Paul mentioned in his list weren't sins. On the surface, they were very good things. My challenge myself and to you, this was going to be a challenging message. Why is stopping us from knowing God in a more intimate and reproductive way? Why is stopping us from knowing God in a more intimate and reproductive way? It's going to give, um, if you read the Psalms, they have what's called selah. If you read any Psalms, that means a moment to pause. I'm just going to give it like a moment to pause. So I know it's a, a challenging word. What is it? What is God inviting us to lay aside? You might get something, and you might not, but I'd encourage you to press in. There'll be an opportunity later when we take communion, because communion is a great opportunity to reflect on these questions because it's a time when we remember Jesus giving us his example when he lay aside things and he invites us to do the same. So kind of moving on for this very challenging passage, Paul kind of then, you know, talks about 
the famous verse in chapter 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, to somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. It's one of those verses, if you kind of grew up in that kind of denomination that you kind of learned and you memorized, it used to be my favorite verse for years because it just sounded quite grand. And uh, it says, I want to know Christ and the power's resurrection. Becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. It's the kind of passage that people just go, yeah. I, don't, I mean, who wants to see uh, the power of his resurrection? Well, I've got at least one more person. I hope there's more people, you know, and particularly in a, in a kind of in your background, you're just like, yeah, you know, you know, if you come to this church regularly, we're always kind of saying, God, we want you to move here. And also, we want to see you move out there on the streets. You want to see more of that power resurrection. All around us, we are aware of situations where there seems to be death, where there seems to be brokenness, where there seems to be fear. And we're saying, God, we want to see that power of resurrection there. You see a few people more nodding there. It's like, yes, that is our, our, our cry. But to see that resurrection, there has to be a death. There has to be a cost. There has to be a stepping out. And that's always a challenge to myself because as a church, we're always trying to press into God's presence, into his intimacy, but that has to outwork out there in our lives. You know, one of the things I do is I ask friends just to keep challenging me because I'm one of these people that loves going to different events where I know God's presence, you know, it just seems to be more manifest. But if we just go from event to event, then we miss what it's about, which is bringing out working of that reality of God out there in our lives and through our lives. Creating habits to make a theory a reality. The reality of God's power. If we just chase power and presence, but we don't outwork it. We miss it. And that takes a death. That takes a, a risk. I was reminded of this this week. I had a, a, um, a friend. I spoke to a friend this week up in Birmingham. And um, he was walking through Sutton Coldfield Park. You know, Birmingham, that's one of the, the big parks there. Uh, it was early in the morning. I was kind of walking up through the park. And he walked past the person sat on the bench. And he had this phrase go through his head, Daniel. And I was encouraged because I think that this guy has been really like close to God. And he went, uh, is this me? Is this you, God? Um, and um, so he carried on walking up the hill and he got to the top of the hill. And he thought, it's going to bug me. So he turned around uh, at the top of the hill, looking down the park, this guy on the bench. And I don't know if anybody else there, in some ways it made no difference. And he just yelled out, Daniel! Nothing happened. So he thought, okay, you know. I just carry on walking, but in his mind, it just it kept bugging in him, and he was reminded of the story in Daniel where uh, Daniel was put into a lion's den and was just facing death, and he thought, "I need to go back. It's going to just bug me all day." So he kind of went back down to this this guy sat on the bench, and he, and he said to him, um, "Is your name Daniel?" And the guy went, "Nah." <laughs> so, okay. He goes, oh, well, I said, I just had this impression, you know, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I had this name, Daniel, come into my head. And I was reminded of the story of Daniel, you know, he was in a place where he was just facing death. And then with the lions. Then the man turned to him and said, how do you know me? Who told you about me? My name is actually Daniel. 
He says, I came here this morning to go and commit suicide. Anyhow, so the person just led them to Jesus. A little bit just to throw it in there, just because I, I just love the way God works. I don't know about you, I just love the stories of God. And uh, um, we went to another church. They're running a course called Alpha. It's a course where people have an opportunity to learn about Jesus. And they have one weekend where they do something called the Holy Spirit, which is just an opportunity to encounter the Holy Spirit. My friend was saying there was a whole load of skeptical people there because this weekend they talk about the reality that God is real and he likes to break through and affect us. And he says a whole load of people there were skeptical going, yeah, nah, I'm not sure if this God thing is real. And he goes, then my friend Daniel stood up and he said, let me tell you my story, the one I just told you. He said, that messed them up. (laughs) And, uh, but the bit I, I, I want to bring out, I mean, I love the story and I love to share stories, but we love to hear stories like that. We love to hear the power of the resurrection, lives being changed. But at some point, it has to outwork in our lives. It has to outwork. Take a risk. Looking stupid, standing on the top of hills, yelling Daniel. What does that mean for us? Then he moves on, that famous verse, sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Those are very strong words. That's probably why I brought up the context of, of Philippians, you know, earlier on. Because he talks about there, about laying, laying aside. And Paul talks about being poured out. That there is a, a cost. In some ways, that kind of theme isn't so, so common when I go around churches, I look at the talks. Even we do as a church, we don't, we don't talk about it this often. Which is why I got the, the responsibility, Nigel and Joe go away, and I get to speak about dying. Sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. If you just stick up the next slide, Pete. Come up. And there's just a few verses. I mean, I could have chosen many, many verses. As a, as a church, as a church leadership, we feel one of our responsibilities is to teach the word of God. Uh, and there are some passages which are lovely and easy. But there are some passages which are really challenging. If you look through the scripture, there's lots of verses that come up. I'll read it out and hopefully it'll come up in a minute. A well-known one is in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. Ah, oh, yeah, here we go. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, if I had time and I was doing like a comprehension exercise, I'd say, you know, which pronoun are they using? Anyone. It's not like some of you, not if you want to feel like you're called to be a, a leader or you're called to be this. It's like anyone. If anyone wants to be a follower of mine, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For anyone who keeps his life for himself shall lose it. And whoever loses his life for me shall find it. What profit is there if you gain the whole world and lose eternal life? What can be compared with the value of eternal life? And funny enough, this kind of verse comes up, at least in two of the Gospels, maybe all of the Gospels, I don't have time to check, but at least the other two Gospels, definitely Luke and Mark, it comes up. This idea of to follow Jesus is to deny yourself, take up a cross. I think sometimes we forget, you know, we've got a cross there and, you know, certain people, you know, wear crosses. It was, a, it was a torturous way of dying. You know, it's not a pretty thing. So when he's saying to them to follow me, yeah, there's lots of things, peace and joy. But there's also that cost 
aspect of cost and sacrifice. And again, you see in the verses below, um, 1 Peter 2, verse 21. And again, I just chose a couple um, with different versions, but just reading that. This suffering is all part of the work God has given you. Wow, it's in our job description. Christ has suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. We've been invited into this. And again, this is a, a great reality and truth. If we say we want to follow Jesus, that aspect of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Not going to look itself in different ways, but just to take the most you know, literal way, that aspect of, of dying. I think sometimes we forget about it. Even myself, I forget about this. 2016 has been on a colleague level quite good. Um, nobody's died. 2015, I lost five colleagues. Um, killed. You know, I was reminded again this week, um, uh, this is part of nature of my work, this week, um, apart from just setting this candidate's course up, I was on what's called security training. And, and it kind of brought it back again. I knew I was teaching on it, but it just brought it back again. What, what does it mean? And it means different things. So I'm going to use a few examples, but using the most extreme uh, uh, example of what you know, Paul literally talks about. If you know the story of Paul, he died. So this week I was on a course on um, me and my colleagues, um, how to survive a grenade attack. What to do if you get shot, how to deal with a bullet wound. Um, how to avoid getting kidnapped. And, uh, you know, hard, hard stuff. But that aspect of cost, whatever it may look like, there's a story in Matthew 19, and it's a very different angle, but it's a cost for a different person. Where a rich young ruler came to Jesus and he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, sell all you possess and follow me. And so the challenge to him, the, the cost, the sacrifice, the death, was giving up stuff. Some people, some of the people I'm dealing with, I was aware of it at the end of this week. I will send out some people across the Muslim world. It's the first time I'll probably send some people and then some of them might die. For them, that might be it. It might be different things. I was, um, ref- I, I'm kind of the person that never leaves the talk to the last minute. So I was reflecting on this talk a couple of weeks ago and I knew I was going to be speaking on it. And I asked God, What's, what does that look like for me? I'm back in the UK. In some ways, I sometimes prefer to be abroad. And, um, and God said, the, one of the costs you've taken at this point in time is loneliness. Isolation, which might sound weird, but I'm way more lonely here than I was abroad. And so my challenge and uh, encouragement to you is, what does that mean for us? What does it mean, what does it cost us to follow Jesus? Jesus said there's going to be a cost. He's, he invites us to share in his suffering. What does that mean for us? Again, it's that kind of pause moment. What's that, what does that look like for us? And it can be many different things, but I think it's important, like I said, in Scripture, we don't often talk about this. I know it's a heavy talk this morning, but it's there again and again uh, in the Gospels. If you read the letters of Paul, you see it again and again. He actually boasts about his suffering in Corinthians. It's a, it's a reality there. We might not talk about it much, but it's there. And we need to grow in this. I know they think it with my children. Um, I want them to learn to grow. I don't want them growing up. I want them to grow up with a supernatural. I want them to grow up uh, just with that sense of hope and joy and expectation. But I also want them to know that to follow Jesus, there is a cost. And it doesn't just necessarily meet people ostracizing them. There is a cost in that. 
they'll often, I've found when I've spoken to people that feel like they've been persecuted, because they just said some daft things, um, rather than persecution in the way that scripture talks about um, persecution. And so with my children, I, I was going to bring a copy in for those parents. I, I read books, a mission organization called YWAM. They have some great books for the ages, you know, between 7 and 12, depending on that, where the kids are. And I just read in tune because I want that to just become part of the normality. I tell them stories uh, of people I know across the world because I want them to grow up with that as being normal. Not to put a fear in them, but put an expectation in them. It's John that tells us, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't bear fruit. I want for my life, I want for my children, I want for us as Winchester Vineyard to bear fruit. And there seems to be a great correlation between dying and laying down our lives, becoming like him in his death, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And lastly, just because time is moving on and I want to have time for communion because communion fits so well into this. I didn't know until a few days ago we were doing communion. I was like, is that all right? And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> it fits so well into what we're talking about. You get the end of Philippians, chapter 3, and Paul just starts talking about kind of running this race and he's just going to phrase finishing well. It's interesting. You've got the bit in Philippians 1 where it says, he, that is God, who began a good work, will carry it on to completion. In the translation I use, deliberately use that word finish. But there's also that aspect where we have that responsibility of whether we're going to finish well. Are we going to press on? And again, that applies to each one of us. It doesn't matter what your age is. That challenge and encouragement to ourselves. I have these people I'm sending out. I get to do the last talk of this training on Friday. And uh, my talk is called Finishing Well. Start as you mean to continue. And what does that look like for us? To run. And again, this is a theme we don't have time that Paul talks a lot about in some of these Gospels. As somebody that uh, loves running, um, even though my body doesn't react in such a way as it used to do when I used to be really able to run, I appreciate that idea of running. Kind of looking forward. He says, but for one thing I do, forgetting what's behind I strain towards what is ahead. Each one of us, individually, as a family, as a church congregation, has been given a race. I don't have time to do anything in this talk about it, but if you're not sure what it is, I'd encourage you to take some time out and ask God, what is it? What race have you put me in? Because that really affects how you run and it affects how you train. Take it from me, I, you know, I used to do 100 up to you know, 10 10 miles, that's not when I used to be a kid. It's very different how you train and you prepare according to that race. And to just go for it. You can ask my children. My children don't even run. I'm hoping what they do when I tell them I need to get somewhere quickly. But, you know, I tell my children, um, I'm hoping one of them maybe one day will take up running. A um, few golden rules. Never turn around. You lose at least a second every time you look at you turn around. Keep focus. If you are, keep them on one side so you don't have to look over both shoulders. And to press in. If I had more time, I would have shown you some clips. If you look on uh, on the internet, on YouTube, there's just so many, you know, funny clips where, you know, uh, where people, particularly where people just kind of see the line and they kind of go, and then somebody passes them. Uh, I don't know if you haven't seen them, just type them in. Um, Or they look over this shoulder. 
been a few cases in the Olympics where people looked over one shoulder, but they're not on the inside lane. Somebody took them on the inside. They just missed it. And so that principle, pause, same applies to us. It's like, what has God called us to do? Let's not forget it. Let's keep pressing in. That's why you're, you're here, um, those of us who are speaking from the front, will often keep reminded, this is what our goal is. We want to see our communities come into life. And you will hear us say it again and again and again. I know certainly I'm one of the ones that says it the most. Because I don't want to forget. I want to remember, this is what it's about. This is what I get up in the morning for, to lead my community into life. Let's not forget it. That's what it's about. I'm going to finish with a story and then a couple of verses and we're going to communion. I think Nigel did this uh, a few weeks ago. I can't remember. But it was a story of a Tanzanian runner called uh, John Stephen Akwari. And it was 1968 um, Olympics. I could have shown it. You can look at it on YouTube. I didn't want to use up the time. But halfway through the marathon, he was running the marathon. Halfway through the marathon, uh, he dislocated his knee. Ooh. You know, it wasn't like he just fell over and grazed himself. He dislocated his knee. He obviously did other injuries, but that was a major one. And, uh, but he carried on running. He came in quite a bit after. They were just about closing up the stadium. And uh, when he came across the line, they clapped. And, you know, they said to him, why? Why didn't you just stop, man? You dislocated your knee. Everybody would understand. And he said this kind of famous line. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And that's a challenge to me and to you and to us as church. God didn't send us here some ways to start the race. He sent us here to finish the race. What does that look like to us? So we're going to have a time to uh, respond. If we can just put up the, the last, last slide. One of them I mentioned at the beginning. But as we come to communion, communion is when we celebrate what Jesus did for us. Communion is when we celebrate and remember that Jesus came and set the ultimate example. He did what we couldn't do. He came to give his life, if you remember the bread, and he came to give his blood, which we represent with wine, or in our case, kind of fruit juice. And we're told to remember it. Remember it, I guess, for two reasons. Remember it because of what Jesus did. We have that opportunity to follow his life, to live that life with Jesus. And I would encourage you, you come in here, and the, the stuff I've been sharing and this morning, I know it's been heavy, and it's to those who say, I follow Jesus. But there's an opportunity this morning, you've been hearing wherever you are in your journey, saying, I want to know more about you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want you to be in charge of my life. That's what it means. That's what we're celebrating this morning. But the other thing, as we come to communion, it's also time to remember and say, what does this mean? You set us an example. As it says in Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. This is what we're doing here this morning. We are viewing God's mercy. Communion and all it represents is viewing God's mercy. In view of this, what is our response? In the living sacrifices. If you know anything about the context of that, it's comparing it to the normal sacrifices that they used to have. And in the normal sacrifices, 
whatever was put in that sacrifice, didn't mind it was a cow, sheep, goat, it died. It wasn't like semi-dead, it died. And so the challenge this morning is in view of God's mercy, what does it look like to be living sacrifices? So I'm just going to ask those um, who have been asked to help with communion, if you could come out to the front. So I'm just going to pray. Then I'm just going to invite, just go to whichever stations, a couple of stations at the back, a couple at the front. If you need gluten-free bread, I think it's um, over with Roger over there, it's gluten-free bread. Um, and uh, I use this as a response. We're going to, in a minute, the worship band's going to come up again uh, and worship. But feel free just to come here as a response to what I've been sharing this morning. If, if as you take it, if you want to stay at the front, feel free to stay at the front. Yeah, I've got the mic. I keep moving it away. And um, so I'm just going to pray. And then let's just start going towards um, to take part in communion. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and um, whether you call this your home church, feel free to join with us as we respond to God's mercy and offer our bodies as living sacrifices. God, I just thank you that you're so good. And I thank you that you are the ultimate example. That because you so love the world, that you sent your son to earth to die for us. And we just say thank you. We thank you that he is resurrected, that he is living right now. Thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed out, poured out for us. We just say thank you. And Lord, as we come to participate, reminders of the victory, reminders of the finished work, but also speak to us and show us what it means for us to follow you at this time and this season. Amen.